Welcome to Living Wisely, Living Well, Timeless Wisdom to Enrich Every Day with Asha Nayaswamy, one of the spiritual directors of Ananda Palo Alto and a founding member of Ananda Worldwide. If you enjoy this content and are inspired by the teachings of Paramahansa Yogananda and his disciple Swami Kriyananda, find Asha on YouTube, Facebook, all podcast directories, and her website, ashajoy.org. Living Wisely, Living Well, May 2nd. There are two kinds of innocence, that of ignorance and that of wisdom. A little girl asked once by a little boy, Are you a virgin? replied, No, not yet. Hers was the innocence of ignorance. Such innocence may in time be undermined. The innocence of wisdom, however, follows upon the complete conquest of ego. Such innocence, though childlike, can never be undone. Its strength, though flexible, is indomitable. I had a very interesting cycle of experience about the difference between the two kinds of innocence. And, uh, you know, I'll I'll start in. I think it'll be clear to you. I I came to Ananda Village, was just called Ananda at the time, when I was 24 and 19 Seventy-one, June 1st, 1971 is when I took up my residence in spiritual community as part of Ananda, and all these years later, I'm still here. I helped, I was a founding member of that community. I've been a founding member of the community I live in now. And I've had a hand in a few others also. Just, this is my whole life. This is the only person I've been. Um, the first 10 years at Ananda uh, there were just so much fun. We had no, no money. We were very isolated. We were a very small group of very, just, we were just a wonderful united family. Swami Kriyananda was living among us. It was the people who have been my best friends for my entire life. It, it was just absolutely fabulous. When I was talking to Swamiji once about reincarnation and the possibility of reincarnation and my, my concerns about reincarnating again and so on like that, um, he, he answered me, He said, what causes us to reincarnate, he said, are two primary forces. One is longing and the other is regret. If you die longing for something that was unfulfilled, that longing will stay in your consciousness. And if that longing can only be fulfilled in the material world, you know, a longing for a certain kind of personal alliance or a certain kind of fame or artistic expression or even, you know, even whiskey and cigarettes, or apple pie, you know, if you have a longing, you'll have to take another body in order to fulfill it because all our desires have to be fulfilled, experienced, and then transcended before we recognize that everything is a substitute for our relationship for God, but we don't know that. We have to test every alternate theory of happiness before we are convinced that what, what our heart is really longing for is union with the divine. And regret also pulls us back. If we deeply regret, if only I could make it up to that person, if only we had gotten there in time, if only I hadn't spoken so harshly and he'd gotten mad at me, if only if I'd been kinder to my daughter, if only I had agreed, all these regrets. Or even the longing for revenge is also a longing, just whatever's unfulfilled. So when he said that to me, I said, oh, but Swamiji, I could relive those first 10 years at Ananda in a heartbeat. I said, it was like heaven on earth. He smiled and he said, oh, that was different. Because that was um, the enjoyment 
of, of God playing through us. So it wasn't a longing for material experience. It was the joy of, of living such a free and happy spiritual life. So that carried me up till 1981. Then my life got a little more complicated. Let me phrase it differently. I was ready for more responsibilities and a certain kind of childhood was over. I often say that I grew up at Ananda, which if you try to do the math, you can't really make it work. But I grew up in the sense that I, I really had this wonderful spiritual childhood where it was just so free and so happy. I, was, I suffered, I made lots of mistakes, I had miserable days, but overall it was heaven on earth. It was just bliss. Um, and then I had to be more of an adult, and that was fine, I was ready for that. That took me up until 1990. In 1990, um, Ananda was, entered the beginning of a period which was 12 years, in which we were which uh, another spiritual organization that claimed a monopoly on Yogananda's teachings decided to try to enforce its monopoly by obliterating Ananda. And they were very wealthy and very strong and very determined in that. And also, fortunately, they were wrong. But it went on and it was very intense. It cost us $13 million in order to defend ourselves against it. Um, because their, their actual claims to copyright, trademark, and things like this, they used the, in, the laws of intellectual property to try to maintain a religious monopoly. They actually didn't even have the laws under the inter, inter, intellectual property laws. They didn't even actually have the rights they claimed they had, even under secular laws. But besides that, the judge saw through what they were doing and knew that they were trying to have a religious monopoly which is contrary to the fundamental premises of America. So we beat that back, but it was 12 long, brutal years of struggle. And in the middle, when the effort to win through the route they were taking was unsuccessful, they tried another route, which was character assassination, which is actually also a legal principle, which is called tarnishment. When they lost their exclusive rights, uh, Swami Kriyananda said to our lawyer, well, they've lost all their rights because they did, four years into this 12-year saga, they really had effectively lost. They kept appealing and reappealing and so on. So it dragged on for another, what was, would it have been, eight more years. But the, our lawyer said, well, there's one more principle, and that's called tarnishment. If you can be proven to be morally reprehensible, and any association in the minds of the public between you as a mor morally reprehensible being and them tarnishes their reputation, then they might be able to get some of their exclusive rights back. So Swami's comment to that was, well, get ready. And a couple of months later, this completely bogus lawsuit was filed that was so bogus that we made a very serious mistake. We thought it would be so easy to disprove we didn't take it seriously enough. And Divine Mother led us to uh, put a man in charge of that who was not capable of defending us properly. And the plaintiff's attorney, <laughs> to use Swami's words, was the closest thing to the embodiment of evil that we are likely to encounter in our lives. And he was, he was a lawyer who'd figured out that the enforcement laws against perjury, as an example, are very, very cumbersome. <laughs> And that if a lawyer has no honor and is willing to break every rule and lie and everything can be false, 
it's very difficult to unravel. The legal system is based on the idea that people are fundamentally truthful. And if you're, well, I'll use the word, a sociopath, and you have no shame, then uh, the whole legal system gets a little complicated. And I was right in the middle of this project, right in the middle of it, for 12 years. And it even happened um, geographically where I live. So in fact, you know, the whole legal team and Swamiji would be in the living room of my house and the lawyers would be in the living room of my house. It was utterly inescapable. During the worst of it, it was in the local papers every day. I mean, now it's, it's like, wow, 1990 to 2002, that was an adventure. And I remember in the middle of it saying to one of my friends, thank God I've had other experiences on the spiritual path because if this were my only experience, it would not be a very attractive way of life. It, I have to admit, honestly, it was also very fun. We laughed a lot. It was the camaraderie of the trenches, is what our lawyer called it, which I think is actually a, a statement from that, that soldiers say to each other. But we had the camaraderie of the trenches, and uh, we kept our sense of humor. We actually never lost our sense of humor. We never lost our sense of God's will. But it was tough, and it was no fun. And prior to that, the spiritual path had been tons of fun. And I just thought that, oh, seeking God is so much fun. I hear all this about martyrdom and sacrifice and renunciation. And God knows I had my moments. You know, I did not, I did not get off scot-free. But fundamentally, Ananda was the darling of the spiritual world. No scandal had ever touched us. And all of a sudden, we were the most nefarious I mean, you can still find it on the internet if you want to look. I don't advise it, but you can, because everything lives forever. And it's, and it's uh, actually, our attackers actually have gotten quite good. At the beginning, they were, they were really amateurish, but now they're not. Now the attack against us, which is pretty old, but it's still sitting there. It's, it's pretty skillfully done. Um, but, which is just fine, it's just life is what it is. People have to discriminate. But um, let me think what I was going to say about it. It was... Uh, well, it was awful. That's the word I want to use. And I had to really ask myself, you know, what is the spiritual path and why am I on it? And this is exactly what Swami's saying. You know, I, had, I was innocent and I had all this faith in God and I was so lighthearted and free um, because nothing really bad had ever happened to me. What if something really bad happens to you? I mean, can you still be so childlike in your trust of God? Can you still be so innocent and free? It really puts it in a whole different reality. And when the thing finally stopped, finally ended, I waited to get lighthearted and happy again. And it wasn't, and I, I have to make this clear, it wasn't like I was depressed or morose. As I said, we had a lot of fun, actually. All the way through it, we had a lot of fun. But I just waited to get happy again. And I realized I was waiting to get innocent again. And I was never going to be innocent again. Just, just being in the close association with that attorney, to actually be in the room eye to eye. With, and, and I agree, he, he, was, he was evil. That's the only thing I could think of. Swami Kriyananda said to him once, very frankly and strongly, because he, this man was so evil, he liked to be called evil. <laughs> I mean, he, he enjoyed any kind, of, any kind of attention, as long as they were talking about me. 
And Swami wrote and said he, he was an evil man. So the man confronts Swami in a deposition. You said I was evil. Why is that? And Swami just took him on straight on. And he said, I don't know what you're like in your personal life, but in your professional life, you are a sadist, Swami said. You became a lawyer because it gave you license to hurt people, because you enjoy hurting people. If that is not the definition of evil, I do not know what is. I mean, it was really something incredible like that. So I had to be in close association with this man for years. You know, he was just always intruding himself into my life, into our lives. It's hard to be innocent after that. It's very hard to be innocent because I looked at it. And then I watched the whole legal system be manipulated because in the end, we were convicted of being morally reprehensible. However, we had so much evidence that the other spiritual organization had, 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 was behind financially and in every way behind that lawsuit, which was bogus. So as our lawyer said, can you create tarnishment and then benefit from it? And we had so much evidence to convict them of their involvement that they dropped the whole thing and never touched it again. They pretended innocence, but they didn't try to take advantage as they had intended because they would have been exposed. But after all that, can you go back to innocence? So what do you do? Sadder but wiser is what most people feel, but that's not an option spiritually. But what I realized is from this point onward, my childlike faith in God has to be a deliberate, conscious choice on my part. Before, it was just effortless good karma. Circumstances were glorious. I had very good karma from my life. I still do. I've had very good karma. I'm very grateful for that. Divine Mother has sustained me all the way through. But I realized I wasn't automatically going to get happy again. I had to make a conscious decision of, of what kind of consciousness do I want to have going forward. And so I have a very deep understanding of, of the wisdom of innocence and the wisdom of wisdom, the innocence of wisdom. The wisdom of innocence, let's see, innocent wisdom and the wisdom of experience. I can really say, I have, I developed my own theory because I like to get images that work for me. This is called the soccer drop kick theory of life. And it's like when you are incarnated, and I'm, I, I don't play soccer, I don't watch it, but I know that there's a moment where somebody holds a ball, drops the ball and simultaneously lifts their foot, gives it a kick and the ball sails a great long distance I don't know if in soccer they watch it roll like they sometimes do in football. The ball rolls for a while and then everybody stands there until it stops and then they jump on it. I have a picture in my mind of that. But the soccer ball, the, the drop kick soccer ball theory of life is that when you incarnate, God gives you a drop kick. And depending on your karma, that can sail way up and way down the field and then hit and then bounce and then roll or maybe it doesn't go so far, mine went way up in the air and it hit and it bounced and it rolled, but at a certain point it stopped. And it's like the childlike innocence of the lack of experience is the momentum from God's first drop kick. And at some point, for some people it happens when they're four years old, for me it didn't happen until I was 50, that it just stopped. And if anything was going to happen after that, I had to make it happen. 
And ever since then, which has now been not quite 25 years, more than 20 years, I do. And every time I feel myself sinking into that, I realize there's no future in that. It has to be a deliberate choice on my part. And uh, there you have it. So, here's what Swami says. There are two kinds of innocence. That of ignorance. Yes, that was the word I was looking for. Ignorance is the word I was wanting. There are two kinds of innocence. That of ignorance and that of wisdom. A little girl asked once by a little boy, Are you a virgin? Replied, No, not yet. Hers was the innocence of ignorance. Such innocence may in time be undermined. The innocence of wisdom, however, follows upon the complete conquest of ego. Such innocence, though childlike, can never be undone. Its strength, though flexible, is indomitable. God bless you, my friends. Our work is made possible by inspired listeners. So if you feel to support Asha, you can make a one-time donation or for unique members-only content, subscribe through Patreon. Blessings and thank you.